If you want to go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 12, um, I really wasn't sure what I was supposed to preach this week until kind of midweek. Uh, I, I had one idea. I was like, oh, this will be fun. We'll teach about this. This, this could even be kind of topical and kind of fit in with you know, current events or whatever. And then uh, I was just, I, I, it wasn't coming together. I wasn't sure why it wasn't coming together. I wasn't sure exactly what it was that God wanted me to be teaching. But that just, that just didn't quite sit well with me. And then the more I kind of thought through just the last few weeks talking about vision and that sort of thing, there's a part of me that was a little bit jealous. And we talked about trying to break it up and let all of us teach some of that. But I got a little jealous of Caleb that he got to teach all the vision stuff. So I said, you know what, we're just going to take one more week and we're going to talk about vision a little bit differently. I, um, I think we're going to kind of take a little bit of a different angle on it. And some of this is kind of coming after our conversation on Sunday night, which I thought we got to some really good ideas. Um, but I think there's just a little bit more understanding what, what we as the elders are trying to present to you when we're trying to talk about the idea of having a big vision. Uh, and I wanted to talk about what it looks like to have a big vision, how God uses vision casting um, in the Old Testament specifically. Um, and I just wanted to kind of give you, hopefully get you locked in on just this big picture of um, what it is that we think God is going to do with us in the future as we move forward as Christ-reconciled church. Um, so I just want to talk a little bit more about this. Um, it was a couple, a couple weeks ago, we were, this was as Ellie was getting started in first grade, we went to the parent meeting, and they had the fill out the sheet to tell us about your kid form, which is where you're supposed to say all the nice things about your kid and all the things they should look out for about your kid, um, which, which we couldn't come up with any bad things for some reason. No, anyways, but there's this one section, please describe your child's personality, um, and uh, I was really, really pushing for Tiff would not let me. I really wanted to describe Ellie as uh, rainbow glitter sparkle unicorns because I thought that just described her perfectly. It's like she dreams about the fantastical and she's like super frou-frou and likes all the sparkly things and her favorite shirts are made of sequins that you can reverse from pink to silver or whatever it is. Like... Like, that's just who she is. And I just thought, those are the kinds of words that so describe her perfectly. Um, and, and it's just because, and, and she, I know she gets some of that from me. Maybe not the, the, like, sparkly unicorn part, but the dreamer part. Like, I don't know, has anybody taken the personality test, the Enneagram personality test? Most of you are probably not sevens. I am a seven. That means I am horribly inefficient. That means I procrastinate a lot, but that means I have really big ideas. And I, and I get distracted by my really big ideas, and I dream big, and I, my mind can wander thinking about all these fantastic things. And I'm, what, like, like we had to close off the window. Yeah, this. Yeah. I was like, we should, put, we should put reclaimed wood up on the wall. And then I obsessed over it until we finally got it done. And yeah, it's like... It's kind of who I am. It, it, it's, I see that in her, and I like love it. I feel bad for my wife because she's not like us. She's very, let's get things done efficiently, and we're like, but look! Look at that cloud! It's writing my name, or something like this. Right? This is who we are. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I think, 
and this is going to be hard for some of you who aren't sevens, I think there's room for all of us as believers to be a little bit dreamery. There's room for us to kind of imagine the fantastic. Imagine the, the awe-inspiring. Imagine the things that, that seem impossible and get excited about them. Because, because if you're saved, that's already happened in your life. You, have all, you are already dead. And you have been made alive by Christ. You were dead in your sin, having no hope, and have been given new hope, given new life. And that in itself is amazing. That in itself is worth celebrating. If, it, if, if you were going to tell that story about the person who's dead being made alive, you'd think that's a fairy tale. That's not real. That doesn't really happen. It's, it's impossible. That, that, that only happens in worlds with, with rainbow unicorns that, that, like, poop glitter. Right? That doesn't really happen. But it did happen. It happened in your life. And I want us, as we're presenting vision, which, which I thought Caleb did a wonderful job of giving us a really gr- biblically grounded understanding of why the areas that we want to see our church change, the areas that we want to see ourselves kind of grow into, mature into, reach out to, how, how all of those things are founded in Scripture. I want to make you look at the vision and see the unicorn at the end of the tunnel. So here's what we're going to do. Genesis chapter 12. We're going to look at the call of Abraham and God's uh, interaction with Abraham from the very beginning. And, And I want you to just kind of look at the ways that God speaks to Abraham. Look at the kinds of things that he says to him. And I want to give you a couple of practical things to realize when we talk about presenting vision. And I want to hopefully just get you excited about the idea of what God can do with CRC. This little bitty church that lives between Carver and the Mountain Home communities. Okay? So Genesis chapter 12, I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. Now, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, there are a lot of details that we could look at within this promise and we could, we could talk about how this, this is a call to go out to the nations because it's all the families of the earth. And, and we could talk about the specifics of where the place was that he sent him. But the thing that I want you to focus on, are, are, I want you to focus on two things in here. First, we aren't always given the step-by-step plan for how we're to get from where we are to where God's going to take us. That's number one. Sometimes we're worried about, well, what am I supposed to do next? And we're not always given, what are we supposed to do next? I've told this story before, but I think it's worth telling again. Um, Every time I read this passage, I think of when CRC began. Because when we began, it was, we think we're going to plant a church sometime, maybe in a couple of years. And God said, no, you're going to plant a church in a couple of weeks. You got two weeks, and then you're going to be a church. What are you going to do? 
well, I guess we're going to plant a church. Where are we going? We don't know, but we're going. And that idea of go from your father's house to a place that I will show you. I'm not telling you where you're going yet. I'm just telling you, start walking, and I'll tell you when you get there. Right? For some of you, that is a terrifying kind of instruction. I want you to go there, that way. And you're like, what am I going to do? I don't know. What mode of transportation should I, am I going to take? I have no clue. What's the most efficient route? Should I, should I consult Google Maps? And he said, go. Just go. Right? Like, and, and, and Abram didn't overthink it. Packed up his family, said, all right, guys, let's go. He, he, and God, and so, so God did not give him the step-by-step plan. And, and this was one of the things that I, I loved about our meeting last week, but I thought was worth kind of following up on. Because yes, we need to start thinking about how do I fit specifically in the next few days, in the next few weeks, whatever, into this plan. But I want us all to love the idea of this is where we believe God is taking us. God is going to establish CRC, if I could describe it in any like as a place that is full of mature and maturing believers. Mature and maturing disciple makers. Like, like to say, we want to be a church of 500. That's not what I'm saying. We want to be full of mature and maturing disciple makers. I don't know what that looks like. But I know that, that I don't want to take that vision and put it inside a teeny tiny little box and say, well, that means like a few more people. No, I think, I think God can do a lot of amazing big things through this church and through the people that he has called to be here in this church. And, and look, at what, look at what he says to him. Go to the place that I will send you, that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. He, he's giving him these really big sounding ideas, right? He's giving him the big finishing. Like this is what it's going to look like. The big ending is your name's going to be great and you're going to be a great nation and I'm going to bless people who bless you. Like I'm going to do amazing things. Through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. That's the end game. He's given him the end of the story. Uh, kind of reminded me of Genesis 3.15 I've mentioned it several times. It's kind of the first promise of salvation after we sinned, right? When, when, when God looks at the servant and says, yeah, there's going to come another one, another in the line of this man who you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to bruise your head. This, this first promise that Jesus was going to come and defeat sin forever. From the very beginning, God was promising salvation. He was promising completion of this work. He was promising reconciliation and restoration and ultimately the glorification of his people. Right? This promise was made from the very beginning. But what he didn't say was, it's going to take X, hundred, X number of years and it's going to be this guy who comes from this line. Sure, he gave more information along the way. But to Adam and Eve, he just said, go populate the earth. Get to work. You know, I'm going to fix this. He gave them the end, but he didn't necessarily give them every step along the way. Not saying we won't eventually be given what our next steps are supposed to be. But if we can't find ourselves 
just in awe of the fact that we have been given a role in making this big picture vision of God happen, I don't know that it's going to be easy to find our motivation to take that next step, to obey and just keep going, to keep kind of going forward. And so that's why, go ahead and turn to Genesis uh, 15. We're going to get to the next uh, big interaction that God has with Abram. Um, But as you're turning there, I just want us to kind of remember, like, I don't want us to overthink following God. Like, let's not overthink it. Let's not, let's not overcomplicate it. Let's not make it, man, I got to do this and this and this and this and this. Because if we, if we look at salvation, what did we do to accomplish our salvation in the beginning? Nothing. He saved us. He made us his children, right? And the same thing, we're going to get there. I'm spoiling the end. I should stop. Genesis 15. We're going to start in verses 1 through 6. So this is the next time that that they spoke. He said, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So he's reminding him of this promise that he made. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir, for your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So the next thing I want us to think about is that God's promises are big. Like, we can't, we can't, we can't put the things that God is capable of doing inside a tiny little box and, and try to protect him from doing something fantastic just for the sake of what seems easiest or what seems most believable. The things that he does are unbelievable. Like, there's a reason we, we, we use words like awesome when we describe God, because they are awe-inspiring. There are things that we could not imagine having happened. But the things that God promises are huge. It's not that he said, you are going to have a kid, don't worry about it, and then ended at that. He said, you're going to have a kid, and now, watch this, come out here, look up there. You can't even count all these stars. That's how big your family lineage, that's, that's, that's what's going to come for you. Right? And we could talk about how old Abram was at this time. We could talk about how old his wife was at this time. And we could talk about how impossible it seems that he would actually have his own heir and that sort of thing. But he's just given this kind of ludicrous picture of the future. He's given this this bigger than seems possible picture of the future. I mean, just the idea of having a son seems impossible. But he's saying, you're not only going to have a son, your family's going to outnumber the stars in the sky. And you can't even count that high. This is amazing. Um, Thinking about how big God's promises are and how sometimes our temptation is to just kind of maybe think small. And I don't know... I think the temptation is, it seems more reasonable if we don't try to expect God to do anything too amazing so that we won't be disappointed when it doesn't happen, instead of just expecting something that we could have never anticipated happening, right? Uh, And I was thinking, 
don't, don't hate me. We love The Greatest Showman. I'm going to try real hard not to start singing songs while I'm... But there's this amazing quote in there that I just love, and I think it kind of fits what I'm trying to say. Um, he says in there, Barnum says, men suffer more from imagining too little than too much. And he's sitting there having this argument with this newspaper writer who's saying, you're giving all these people these fake things. And yeah, he was, he was exaggerating, and he was going beyond what was actually true and trying to get people to, do, to, to believe amazing things. And whatever. We could, we could have a longer discussion about Barnum. That's not the point. The point is, sometimes we as believers expect too little of God instead of expecting more than we could ever imagine. And, I want, and, and again, I think this is like the, the dreamer in me who can really easily connect to this idea, but, but I want the dreamer in you to see the amazing things that God has done and know the things that he's capable of doing and expect that he's going to do those kinds of things in your life and in the life of the church. Now, I'm not promising you that means you're going to have all kinds of money and all kinds of stuff and I'm not trying to say that, but I am trying to say, I think when we have, say, we have a vision that our church is full of mature and maturing disciple makers. Full is a word that I think we can understand. We're not full. We got room. We could put out more chairs. We got like a hundred more of them in that closet. We'd love to. We, we want to have, have mature and maturing believers. We want to have more leaders. Yeah, we've got, we've got deacons. We've got elders. We want more deacons. We want more elders. We want more community groups. We want more community group leaders. We want more children's workers. We want more children. We want to have to bring more lunch in on Sunday morning because we're, we're eating so much. Because everybody likes seconds. Right? But we shouldn't, we, shouldn't ex, we shouldn't think that God can't do that because we're small. We shouldn't think that God won't do that because we're insignificant or because we don't matter we should expect that God is capable and that he gives us these kinds of promises, these kinds of visions to do things. Like, I want to see the church growing. Like, we, like I was just amazed. Like, we've read through Acts two or three times as a church. And then just to hear Caleb reading off all the number of times that he said, and the church grew by this many, and the church grew by this many. I was thinking, oh, wow, that was three or four chapters in a row. And then he went like six more chapters. Continuing to say, the church grew, the church multiplied. More and more people were being added to the church. Like, this is a thing, and this is a thing that God is doing, and this is an amazing thing that we can expect that God would continue to do. Right? One other thing that I want us to notice in here. Verse 7 of chapter 15. God reminds us of his past faithfulness. He said to him, I am, the Lord, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. I'm going to keep going in just a second. But, but first thing, like, remember what God has already done. I didn't look at the song list. Did you sing, look what God has done? You didn't, did you? Oh, that would have just been perfect, right? That's okay. Oh, yeah, you're doing the Lord our God. That one says it too. Perfect. We've got that theme. We're going to sing it. But like... Um, we can't lose sight of the fact that 
God has already done amazing things. That's what we started with, right? I was talking about the fact that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, had no hope, and he made us alive. He gave us life. He gave us hope. He gave us a body to live with. He gave us a family. These are amazing things that have already happened, and we should, we should think back on those things and think, why can't he do that again? Why, can't he, why wouldn't he continue to do that? He's obviously still capable. And so, so Abram's coming to God with this, this concern. But I don't have a kid. And he said, you're going to have a kid. In fact, you're going to have this huge family. Don't worry about it. Remember, I'm the one who brought you here and gave you this land. I've already been faithful to you. You can trust that I will continue to be faithful to you. Let's go ahead and keep reading. Verse 8. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. You're like, what does this have to do with, with anything that you're talking about right now? It sets up, it sets up the grand finale. So here's how, here's how covenants worked at that time. Basically, what, these, what, what two people would do is they'd grab an animal or whatever, and they'd cut it in half, and they'd set it on either side, and then they would walk through it together. And they'd basically be saying, I promise I'm going to keep up my end of the deal. You promise you're going to keep up your end of the deal. And if either of us doesn't, that's us. Like, it's basically saying, I promise on me that I will keep up my end of this deal. And so, and so Abram goes and he lays out all of these different animals and he's preparing to make a covenant with God that God said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you this family. I'm going to do all of these amazing things. Right? And he lays all these things out and he's protecting it because he's preparing for this kind of similar, similar sort of covenant symbolism where they're going to walk, he and God are going to go through this together. But, but look at what happens next. Verse 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram and behold, Dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete." When the sun had gone down, here it is. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the, rivers, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites and the Jebusites. So in this moment, Abram's set up this big promise where he and God are going to go through this thing together. And right when it's about time for them to walk through together, what happens? God knocks Abram out, puts him to sleep right there. And God, on his own, by himself, walks through and makes that covenant with him, saying, I'm covenanting with you but I don't need you. I'm covenanting based on myself. I'm going to make this happen. 
I will see to it that this is accomplished. This isn't because you're going to bring anything to this. I'm making this covenant and I'm making it based on me alone. I am the foundation. I am the one who is guaranteeing it and I will see it through. So ultimately, when we talk about vision, it's God who's going to bring about the vision. And we've been saying this. It's like if we're going to grow, it's going to be because God is saving people. If we're going to mature, it's because God's going to reveal himself in us and fill us with his Holy Spirit and help us better understand who he is. If we're going to reach, we're going to go to the places that God opens the doors for us to go to. You know, these things are only going to happen as God wills it, as God makes these things happen. But, but if we believe that he's faithful, if we believe that he's capable of doing all of those things, then, then we should see that end game and be like, yes, this is amazing. God's going to do so many cool things here. Let's go. And, and we should proceed forward without fear. We shouldn't worry about whatever. Like, we shouldn't say, I don't understand exactly how to have a conversation with somebody about Jesus. But I don't care because I trust him and he's going to give me the right words. Or I just need to go talk to people and love people. I'm just going to go. No, we may not, we, you may not have, I may not give you like, here is this fake $20 bill that you can drop and then somebody can pick it up and it'll say, disappointed? You won't be if you trust Jesus. And then you can be like, hey, let's have a conversation about that. They're not going to be in a good mood at that point. They just lost 20 bucks. So we may not give you every single word, but we want to see our church filled with people who are mature and maturing believers who are going out and making disciples. So, no, that's not me saying, here are your marching orders. Walk out that door at 10 a.m. on Saturday, and the first person you see, immediately read them this script. They should become saved and then bring them back on Sunday. And you're like, but that's terrifying. I don't know what that's going to look like. It's terrifying, unless you really trust that God's able to faithfully see you through it. And when God says, I'm going to have my name be praised through all the nations, and I'm going, to, I'm going to see the church growing, and I'm going to see people being saved and added to the body of Christ, when he says those things, he's guaranteeing it on his own promise, like on his own faithfulness. He's the one who makes that promise. He doesn't need us, but he's using us, and that's an amazing thing. And like Abram, who covenanted with God, and God made this promise. I'm going to give you this land, and I'm going to make you an amazing, this large nation, and I'm going to bless all the nations through you. We've covenanted together as a church, right? When you, when you join CRC, we sign a membership covenant. That's not like a contract. A contract is like, here are the terms of our relationship. If one or the other of us break this, then the contract is void and somebody pays a penalty. That's not what a covenant is is. A covenant is this like long-term kind of all-in commitment that we have to one another. And that we're, we're committed to, as the elders, we're committed to you guys, making sure that you guys are maturing and that you're, you're, you're making disciples and, we're, and we want to be there for you if you have questions and support you as you're doing these sorts of things. And you're committing to us that, that you're going you're gonna, to hear the things that the Holy Spirit is speaking through us and the, the directions that we're going and you're going you're gonna to try to 
take steps towards go, pursuing this vision that God's given us and that sort of, like we're, we're kind of all in on this together. We're kind of all committed in the same way. And to me, if we're all really understanding what that covenant means, if we're understanding what it means to be like, we're in this together and we can trust that everybody's all in with us, then there's no, there's no reason for us to get worried, to be afraid. It's like, they got my back. I need somebody to help me go out and learn how to talk to people walking around outside. Who wants to come with me? And somebody's like, let's go. I'll go with you. I don't know what I'm doing either. I'm terrified. I'm probably going to get really quiet, and you're going to have to do all the talking. That's fine. I just want to know that you're there, and that you're going to back me up, and that you're going to tell me afterwards if I said something wrong, or if I said something that I could say differently, and you're going to help me, and we're going to figure this out together. Yes. It may be, hey, I really want to come, come out and listen to the sermon. Can somebody help me by watching kids in the nursery? Can somebody help me by serving back in the back room with the kids so that those people aren't always committed to being back there and they can spend some time kind of worshiping and responding and all of the things that we do out here. And this is, this is what we hope. This is what I hope. That we can, we can see what God can do here at CRC. And that we will, we will dream in glitter and sparkles and unicorns. That, that we won't say, that we won't say, oh, we're just this little small church plant. Maybe you would like us if you maybe gave it a shot. But instead, we're, God's going to do some amazing things. I get to be a part of it, and you should too. He's already started. He's already done amazing, amazing things. When we say we want to grow, we don't mean that maybe just one person gets saved and comes. If that happens, when that happens, we're going to celebrate. We're going to throw a party. If one person's going to get baptized, the whole church is going to come out on a Wednesday night to celebrate that. That's amazing. We want to see that individual salvation happen. But we're not expecting that it stops with one. That's not the end. We're going to rejoice over a single salvation. But Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. And the workers are few. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers. And we're praying for you guys, and hopefully you're praying for each other, that you would take on that mantle, take on that call, and go out and make disciples, because there are plenty of disciples to be made within two blocks of us right now. The opportunity is there. And we should expect that, that, that we can go out and, and see that harvest coming in. We want to we see this place filled with, with all kinds of people who don't all look the same and don't all like the same things. We want people who are artistic or, or technical or, or musical or nurturing or compassionate or good cooks. That would be a good one. Like people who cook really well. More of those people. Those are great. You know, like we want, we want people who are counselors, people who are just good at listening to other people. We want people who are, who are leaders, people who are, who are skilled at building things. We want people who are skilled at painting things because green. So much green. We want people who are good at figuring out how to keep water from flowing into buildings and people who are good at getting water back out of buildings once the water flows in. Like, like you could be good at all sorts of things and we want you. We want, we want people with kids. We want people without kids. We want people who aren't married 
so that they can get married to the other people who aren't married. We want people who are married so that they can tell the people who have recently gotten married where they're screwing up on how to be married. We want... We want all kinds of different people in here. When we say mature, yes, we want to see us making small steps toward Christ's likeness, but we want to be a church filled with mature and maturing believers who are growing as leaders. We want more deacons. We want more community group leaders. We want more elders. We want more uh, children's workers. We want more people who lead by coming in and serving in different capacities. And we expect that God is going to, is, we know that God is able to do it. We expect that he's going to do it or he wouldn't have given us this desire. We want to, we want to see things that seem impossible and expect that God's going to do it. And as individuals, we can just kind of move forward without fear because we know that he's already done it in the past. Let's pray. God, it just gets me so excited to talk about what it is that you can do. What it is that you have done, but even more. I just love, I love thinking of possibilities. I love saying, this could be a new wall. This could be a new room. This could be a new community group. This could be a new opportunity for us to serve in this way or that way, whatever it may be. God, you started answering our prayers to see this vision take effect before we'd even finished preaching it. Already we were building relationships with other people outside of the church. Already people are talking more about about this new conversation they had with a friend about, about Jesus or about salvation or about CRC. Already we're seeing new faces and people coming in and saying, I want to help, I want to serve. And this is amazing. And God, we just pray that you would continue to do more because we know you can and because we know that there is a harvest that is plentiful all around us right now. And God, you are capable. You are capable of saving every single one of them. And God, if you would use us to do that, and through that you would grow this body, and that we could better serve and love our neighbors even then, that would be amazing. And God, we don't want to ask too little. We don't want to protect you thinking too small. Oh God, maybe, maybe that we would just have enough food for lunch. We want enough food for lunch, but God, we also want to have three times more people than we planned for come in here. And God, we want you to give us enough food to feed all of them. God, we want to see one person saved and one person baptized, but God, we want to see a hundred people saved. We want to see a thousand people saved. We want to see the city of Johnson City just completely changed by your Holy Spirit. God, we say we want, we want to to support and send. God, we want to see the nations being blessed. We want to see your name being praised around the world by people who have been saved and matured through what you've done in this place. God, cause us to pray big prayers and expect amazing things. 
God, you said, don't fear the world, for I have overcome the world. You have already accomplished so much, and you are able to accomplish so much more. And God, I just pray that you would just fill us with the expectation of what you are going to do next. Through this church and through us as individuals. God, I just pray that you would give us each a big vision within this vision, a big piece of this, an area where we say, that's me, and I'm going after it with everything I've got. Fill us with the confidence that, you can, that, that we can see, see you do these things. And God, send us out. God, last week we got into a lot of really good ideas, a lot of specific ways, going out, talking to people, just being here, moving in, being in this building as much as we possibly can, discipling one another, being discipled, putting ourselves under the authority of somebody else's spiritual guidance and making sure that nobody is left behind. God, all of these things we pray that you would accomplish and you would accomplish quickly in our church so that we can press on, move forward as we mature and see more amazing things happening. God, salvation is an amazing thing. From death to life is an impossible thing. And that we are alive and that we understand what it is that we were and who it is that you have made us into is an amazing, amazing, overwhelming thing. So God, I pray that, that every word that we sing and every step that we take from this point forward, we're taking knowing what it is that you have done in us and that we don't carry a sense of fear because we know what you've already done and we know who you are and we know what you're capable of doing. And so God, as we go from here, as we eat a meal, as we, as we sing songs, as we sacrificially give as we, as we love people when people are sometimes hard to love. Let us do so knowing what amazing things you've done and expecting you to continue to do amazing things as we go forward. God, I just pray that, that this, this vision that you have given the elders, this, this idea that we want to grow and mature and reach, wouldn't just be words, but they would be the hopes and dreams of the future of what you're going to do as a part of this local body, this local expression of your church. God, we're so thankful for what you've done already, and we just pray that you would glorify yourself even more as we move forward. In Jesus' name, amen.